A reading from the first book of Samuel. Samuel was sleeping in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The Lord called to Samuel, who answered, Here I am. Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I did not call you, Eli said. Go back to sleep. So he went back to sleep. Again, the Lord called Samuel, who rose and went to Eli. Here I am, he said. You called me. But Eli answered, I did not call you, my son. Go back to sleep. At that time, Samuel was not familiar with the Lord because the Lord had not revealed anything to him as yet. The Lord called Samuel again for the third time. Getting up and going to Eli, he said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the youth. So he said to Samuel, Go to sleep, and if you are called, reply. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When Samuel went to sleep in his place, the Lord came and revealed his presence, calling out as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, for your Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel grew up, and the Lord was with him, not permitting any word of his to be without effect. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. for the Lord and he stooped toward me and heard my cry and he put a new song into my mouth a hymn to our God here am I Lord here am I Lord I come to do your will sacrifice or offering you wish not but ears open to obedience you gave me. Holocaust or sin offerings you sought not. Then said I, behold, I come. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. In the written scroll, it is prescribed for me. To do your will, O my God, is my delight, and your law is within my heart. Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. I announced your justice in the vast assembly, I did not restrain my lips, as you, O Lord, know. 
Here am I, Lord, here am I, Lord, I come to do your will. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? But whoever is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit within him. Avoid immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been purchased at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The word of the Lord. from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. 
the gospel of the Lord. The, uh, the very first baptism that I performed uh, here once we had renovated and moved the baptistry over there was for a, a six-year-old boy who just couldn't wait to get baptized. And just as we started the ceremony, he asked me, Deacon Ed, why do they call it baptism? I said, good question, fair question. It means take a bath. And he's like, why did they have to call it that? Okay. This You've got to understand, this is a six-year-old theologian. You know, the definition of theology is faith-seeking understanding. Well, here was this kid who had faith, wanted to be baptized, but he wanted to understand what was going on. And I said, that is a really, really good question. It's because in all of our sacraments, whatever happens on the physical side also happens on our spiritual side. So when we feel the, the dirt washing off of our forehead, we know that our sins are being washed from our souls. It's a great theological question, even coming from a six-year-old. It goes to the very heart of our understanding of what it means to be a human being. What are we? What kind of creatures did God make us to be? So let me ask you a question. Do you think human beings are a body that has a soul? Or do you think human beings are a soul that is trapped in a body? Think about it a minute. Are we a soul trapped in a body, or are we a body that has a soul? Don't have to answer out loud. It's okay. It's a trick question. We're neither. What we are is something completely different. We are a unique combination of body and soul together, unique in all of God's creatures. The angels are pure spirit. Uh, the animals, the trees, the rocks, the plants, the other physical things are all pure body. But we believe as people of faith that we were created in this body-soul unity by God, given the task of learning to know, love, and serve Him, and given the further task by our Lord Jesus Christ of going out and making disciples of other people so that they may come to know, love, and serve Him. This, this question of uh, body and soul was something that just permeates St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Um, Corinth was a port city in Greece, okay? And being a port city, it had kind of a reputation like, you know, New Orleans or Singapore or any of these other port cities. It's a pretty wild town, right? But in this Corinthian area, area the people had latched onto a misunderstanding, a false understanding of the Christian message. It was a heresy that is called dualism. Now, dualism has taken on many forms over the centuries, but at its core, dualism says that the soul or the spiritual side of our life is holy, and the body or the physical side of our life is either bad or of no value whatsoever. So you can do whatever you want with it. You can be very harsh and treat it, you know, with extreme ascetic practices, or you can let it indulge in whatever pleasures you want. But again, this is false. This is a heresy. But the Corinthians had drifted into the idea that they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies because their souls were saved. And Paul needed to correct the Corinthians with this letter. 
In fact, he, he goes for quite some time specifically about various forms of sexual immorality, many of which were connected to these pagan fertility cult prostitution practices that were quite popular, as you might understand, in Corinth at the time. So Paul corrects the Corinthians. He says, no, 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 no. You have to understand, our bodies were made for Christ, for service to him and to his church. He says further, these same bodies will one day be glorified like Christ's body at the resurrection when our soul will be reunited with our body. This is, this is part of the pain, the lingering from original sin, the death, the separation of our soul from our body. So when we die, we are not what God intended us to be. But we will be, again, when we're reunited at the resurrection. So Paul tells them that their bodies are important. They are intended for service to Christ and his church, and they must be respected. This is where the church gets its teaching on respecting the human body even after death, okay? We have to respect the human body. We have to properly bury it. Even cremated remains are supposed to be buried, or put in a vault or a columbarium, you know, not stored on the back shelf, not fired out of a cannon over a battlefield because the guy was a soldier, not secretly hidden in a bag and distributed through the haunted mansion at Disney World. Happens. They actually have a crew that watches on night vision cameras to make sure this doesn't happen. Respect the body, because the body was made for service to Christ and his church. Now, the specifics of how each one of us is called to serve depends on how God calls us as individuals. We see examples of this in both our first reading and in our gospel reading. You know, the call can be varied. The call can be misunderstood. Samuel didn't realize he was being called. God had to call him three times before he finally realized, <laughs> That's the Lord calling me. That's what that is. Then we have in the gospel reading, they recognized the call rather quickly, but they weren't sure what it was. And so Jesus tells them, well, come and see. In other words, acknowledge that you're called, but try to discern prayerfully what the call is for you. Now, each of us is called differently from everybody else, and our calls are as different as our bodies are from each other. And the differences in our bodies remind us of the differences in the gifts, the charisms that God gives each one of us for the building up of the church. So whether you're young or old or black or white or male or female or athletic or can hardly get off the ground or any other kind of division you can make, you are the way God intended you for the mission he has assigned you. Whether or not you know what that mission is in this life, you may not. You may have to wait till the next life. But we are all called as we are right in this moment to serve with the entirety of our being, body and soul united together. So the implications of this are quite strong. First of all, keep in mind, you are made as God meant you to be. And if you think that you're really something else trapped inside of this body, then either you are mistaken or God is mistaken. Or even worse, God's lying. Now, God doesn't lie. And I don't believe God makes mistakes. So this is something truly important that needs to be taken 
deeply into prayer, deeply thought about, especially in today's society. With that in mind, we have to try purposefully to understand how God is calling us and to what he is calling us to do. We need to take that to prayer as well. Once we seem to have an idea, we need to live it out the best way we can. Now, call may change during the course of our lives. I mean, when we're kids, it may be one thing. When we're adults, another. If we get married, we'll be parents, maybe grandparents. But we have to always be open to what is God calling us to? What does he need us to do next? Now, if we feel inadequate, that we're not worth it, that maybe our bodies aren't right or our talents aren't any good or there's other people who are better than us, forget about it. God's called you this way, and he can use you exactly as you are. And I'll give you three examples of people that either did not think they were worth it or other people didn't think they were worth it, but who are now considered saints. The first one, I'm not sure if you've heard of. He's somewhat recent. He was a Canadian by the name of Brother Andrew Bassett. Now, he was so poorly thought of by the members of his order that he was assigned the most menial job they had. He was the doorkeeper. In other words, when people came to visit the other priests in the order, he would open the door and let them in and ask them to be seated in the waiting room. But the thing is, every time he opened the door and let someone in, he treated as if he was letting Christ himself walk through that door. And people noticed. And he would listen to them. And he would pray for them. And eventually people came to the monastery just to talk to the doorman because his holiness in how he did such a small thing for God. Speaking of small things, here's one you may have heard of, Therese of Lisieux, sometimes called the Little Flower. She became a nun at a very young age and shortly thereafter became deathly ill. She ultimately died very young, 24, 25, somewhere around that. At first, the other nuns thought she was faking it, thought she was, you know, trying to be lazy and get out of doing work around the, uh, the convent. But it became obvious that she wasn't going to be able to do much. And she was very disappointed in that because she had high hopes for doing great things for God. But once she realized that she was small, that she was insignificant, she could still do small things for God every little small thing she did as if it was the greatest thing God had ever asked us to do. She called it her little way. And it led to a great deal of holiness. It's the sort of thing anybody can do. And my third example, I'm not going to tell you his name at first, but this guy as a young man desperately wanted to enter the seminary to become a priest. He kept getting turned down. He got turned down multiple times until finally someone led him into a seminary. But because he was short and fat and talked slowly and haltingly, the other students gave him the nickname, the Dumb Ox. We know him as St. Thomas Aquinas, a man who is the second most quoted in the catechism of the Catholic Church. So don't feel that you are inadequate no matter how small, no matter how insignificant you think you are, no matter how much better you think someone else is. It's the humility, the same humility our Lord displays to us every Mass in the Eucharist when he comes just as bread and wine. But how much power 
there is in these simple things when their substance is changed into his. Therefore, my friends, strengthened by his gift of the Eucharist and following his example of humility, let us glorify God with all our being, body and soul together for the glory of God in the joyful hope of our own resurrection. God love you.